the problem with reward systems is they work. <laughs> what is rewarded is repeated. So if you reward somebody, if you ship 100, that's great. If you ship 200, it's twice as much. They get rewarded for that, even though it's not the right thing for the customer who's shopping in the store because it's clogging up the back room so far they can't get anything else out. So we have out of stocks on the sales floor, but a, a back room that's just got stuff everywhere. You're really not helping to it. So what we tried to do is say what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the shopper who buys Tide detergent in a Walmart store and we're going to run everything through the filter of what's the right thing for that person who's making that purchase. And it really did change a lot of the discussion between Walmart and P&G from, I don't like you and you don't do it right. And you're screwing up our systems too. What's the right person who's buying Tide detergent in a, in a Walmart store? Let's make sure we're doing the things that's right for them. And it just changes the discussion and the reward system of that. You're focusing on the right thing. Hello and welcome to the Intersection of People and Technology podcast, a show where you get to listen in on curious conversations about people and technology and how they come together at retail. We call it Innovations and Explanations. Today we have Mike Grain. Mike Grain's a 40-year industry veteran in retail and in technology specific to retail. Mike, welcome. Thanks for being here today. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to touch base with you today. Mike. Absolutely. Yeah, we're excited to have a good conversation with you today, Mike. Uh, spent a lot of time together getting to know you and your thoughts. Um, so could you do us a favor and kind of just introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us a little bit about who you are and kind of what drives you today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, personally, I, I'm a, a 40. I'm back. Today is my 42nd wedding anniversary. I, I married my uh, high school best friend and sweetheart. My, and uh, we've been married for 42 years. Uh, I graduated the University of Cincinnati with a bachelor's degree and a master's degree of information systems and technology. Um, and I've been in the retail or supply chain or CPG industry uh, for almost 40 years. So it's been it's been a fun ride. Um, I started out with Procter & Gamble, um, kind of a small soap company, if you will, uh, back in 1982. And one of my first assignments was actually to actually leverage technology with what was not before, but is now the world's largest retailer, Walmart. So I spent about 25 years doing information technology with P&G and Walmart. Uh, I then spent about 10 years at Walmart, actually leading some of the technology work, which you'll talk about here in a little bit. Uh, and now I'm doing some consulting for a broader set of industry folks in the retail technology space. So it's been, it's been a fun ride. Mike, amazing. But first of all, the thing I, I know we're here to talk about retail and technology, but tips, tricks to <laughs> staying married for 42 years successfully. That's pretty, pretty impressive. <laughs> Love to hear about that. Um, yeah, what I would, what I would say, people have asked us that before. Um, when you bring, when you get, when you individual, you bring a hundred percent of yourself to the party. And when you get married, your spouse brings a hundred percent of their selves to the party. When you bring the two together, you don't bring half of yourself to the party. So it's not a 50, 50 relationship. Um, the way I think about it is your job is to spend more time giving to the other person 
and expecting less in return. So if I was to give 80% to my wife and expect 20% in return, and then she does the same, she gives 80 and expects 20, we work out great. Uh, what I've seen relationships occur is when the uh, one person expects much more than the other person's willing to give. So my philosophy is give more than you expect to receive and the selfishness and the titty, the, the small kinds of things that you get involved with, the, the tasks that you get involved with and things like that go away if you just figure that your job is to provide more than you expect to receive. Wow. Way to drop the knowledge there, Mike. <laughs> and I thought <laughs> I mean, we were going to talk about RFID technology. <laughs> I'm looking at Telsey's thinking, okay, this is a solid conversation today, right? I've already learned more than I could have bargained for today. I think that's great news. And Mike, you speak with such <laughs> conviction about it that you're like, okay, I'm buying whatever he's selling, right? But I, I, I personally want to hear about the 25 years at Procter & Gamble, really. Yeah, so so the 25 years of Procter & Gamble are awesome. Uh, right out of school, um, I started in Cincinnati uh, working with um, some of our different brand groups. I managed our corporate data center in Cincinnati for about a year or so. I transferred to a manufacturing plant in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, where we make, uh, where they made and still make um, diapers and toilet paper and feminine products. And then in 1988, I got a phone call from my boss saying, instead of having you come back to Cincinnati, we want to have you go work with Walmart. And I'm going, Walmart's a store. What, why would I be working with Walmart? Well, you know, Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart, and our CEO have a fundamental disagreement about our relationship, and we're putting a small team together to go work with them. And it's like, okay, I went down there, and, and to say it was a bad relationship was a very, very you know, minor way of trying to put it. Um, we did a lot of business with Walmart. It was very adversarial. It was very transactional. None of it was mechanized. We would have a salesperson fly in from Dallas, call on Walmart, fly back out, and the next and the same day, a PG sales rep from Kansas City would fly in, call on the same buyer. And fundamental questions like how do you ship and what are your terms, et cetera, there were never the same answers. So it was very, very disjointed. Up into and including, this is a kind of an interesting soundbite. Sam Walton, because of the amount of business that P&G and Walmart did together, um, offered to give us a patented or very prestigious vendor of the year award. And he called the CEO of Procter & Gamble to tell him about this great award. And the CEO, Chris, you'll love this, would not return his phone call. Because, <laughs> Wal because, Wal because Walmart was a retail organization. I know. Walmart was a retail organization and the CEO doesn't deal with customers or the retail trade. They deal with brands and marketing and consumers, et cetera. So bottom line, we did a lot of business together. It was very adversarial and transactional. My role was to go down and say, what role could technology play? And I'll give you a couple of quick sound bites and then I'll open it up. But for example, we could not even send an email between P&G and Walmart when I got down there. There's no way to communicate electronically. So one of the first things we did is hook up our email systems together. We were doing all of this business together between Walmart and P&G 
on purchase orders and invoices that were produced on fax machines, right? So they would fax a purchase order to us. We'd key it into the system. We'd fax them back an invoice, very mechanical. So obviously making that an electronic transmission between the two companies was a priority. But probably the most important one was at the time, P&G was not able to measure, able to measure once we ship product into their store, to the distribution center, how much the stores actually sold. And so it took us about six months to measure that. And we got a chance to actually sit down with Sam Walton and we told him how much we actually shipped to his stores. And he said, you know what, Mike, I don't really care how much you ship to our stores. Chris, what do you think Sam Walton cared about, about P&G? Probably want to know how many, how much he received not just was shipped to his stores and how much he's selling. I assume bingo, bingo. <laughs> so it took me six weeks to tell us how, how much we were shipping into his distribution centers. He wanted to know how much of your product am I selling at my registers? Number one. And he said, Mike, I'm not making enough money on you. And I said, well, Mr. Sam, it took me six weeks to get this information. I don't have any information that tells me what I'm selling. So we then, I spent about a year inside of Walmart and basically a short, uh, we started sharing that. Um, it was such a success that they asked me to spend a year inside of Walmart and help to develop a platform called Retail Link, which they now use with all of their different suppliers gives them point of sale information and forecast information, et cetera. So it's been a great career. The, the, the one thing I know we want to transition to is the tracking of merchandise from a Procter and Gamble plant through a Procter and Gamble distribution center to a Walmart distribution center, to a store, to a shelf. That was a very difficult thing to track and accurately do. And we use RFID back in 2003 uh, with the top 100 suppliers at uh, Walmart to basically start leveraging this technology in the retail space. So the RFID has been around for a long, long time, but that was the first implementation of it at a retail store. So you've obviously been there, I'm going to call it since the beginning, right? Creation of Retail Link, which is from what I'm understanding, Mike, the first system really Walmart had to track how much of a specific product was being sold at their registers. Is that true? Am I saying that right? So they had the ability to measure internally how much they were selling at the register, but they never shared that outside of Walmart. This was the first time that they said, you know, I mean, Sam Walt once said, treat your suppliers and your customers, give them the information they need, because the more they'll know, the more they'll care. And they'll start focusing instead of just worrying about what they're shipping into a distribution center, they can start caring about what are they actually selling to a customer? It's all about the customer at the end of the day. And so if we know that the customer is the end goal, we need to share all the information we know about that particular customer and what they're buying and what they're not buying. So Retail Link became the platform of sharing that data that was inside of Walmart with carriers, with distribution, third-party logistics providers, with suppliers, and now they do that all over the world. Kind of consistent with the, the the relationship theme I heard earlier is if you give more than you expect to receive, you'll get more than you could ever expect, basically in return, right? It seems like the more they Walmart's been able to share that information with their suppliers or vendor community, the more successful Walmart's become as well. Yeah, hundred percent agree. I mean, you know, P and G used to have a statement which is you know, pack it high and let it fly, stack it high and let it fly. They'd say that all the time. Well. 
if I ship in 15 pallets of detergent into a store, it's not going to get stacked high because there's no place on the sales floor to put it. And so shipping that much volume actually, actually makes the back room a mess that nobody can get to anything. So a supplier used to think about the more I ship, the better off I'll do. The reality right. is the more time you ship stuff just when it's needed to go out to the sales floor, the better off your sales are going to be overall. But that was never the, you know, one of my favorite terms is, and you guys can write this one down too, since you like the first one I said, the problem with reward systems is they work. <laughs> what is rewarded is repeated. So if you reward somebody, if you ship 100, that's great. If you ship 200, it's twice as much. They get rewarded for that, even though it's not the right thing for the customer who's shopping in the store because it's clogging up the back room so far they can't get anything else out. So we have out of stocks on the sales floor, but a, a back room that's just got stuff everywhere. You're really not helping to it. So what we tried to do is say, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the shopper who buys Tide detergent in a Walmart store, and we're going to run everything through the filter of what's the right thing for that person who's making that purchase. And it really did change a lot of the discussion between Walmart and P&G from, I don't like you and you don't do it right. And you're screwing up our systems too. What's the right person who's buying Tide detergent in a, in a Walmart store? Let's make sure we're doing the things that's right for them. And it just changes the discussion and the reward system of that. You're focusing on the right thing. In sales, we always say compensation drives behavior. So it's kind of the same saying, right? Same principle. It's whatever gets compensated yep. is going to get get focused on. That's for sure. So Mike, you've seen some key milestones, obviously, in the past and changes in retail technologies. You just talked about one or highlighted one for us. Um, I don't know if there's any others you'd like to highlight that you've encountered over time. Or what I'd love to go to at some point is, where do you, what do you see as the next key retail technology changes from your perspective, right? I don't know, Tulsi's, if that's okay with you, but yeah. that's kind of, I would love to hear that conversation. Well, yeah. So, so, so I guess my point of view, that's a really good question. Um, I, I think from my perspective, once in a while, Mike, once in a while, <laughs> we'll have good questions on hitting here, help hopefully set you up for a good conversation, right? Uh, I, I, well, a good question is one that I have an answer for. Right. A really, really, a really, really good question is one that I have an example to show to support that. Fair and enough. an outstanding question is one I have a PowerPoint slide to show you. So <laughs> that's all. I'll settle for good or really good today. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah, really, really good. So here's my challenge. My challenge is um, it is not a surprise. Two things. Number one, the advent of omnichannel and this really, really big retailer in Washington called Amazon and the disruption it's creating into the industry, number one. <laughs> number two, just the pandemic that we all lived through in 2020 made people start to change their shopping habits from, I'm just going to go to the store every single day and buy some stuff to, I wonder if I can order it and just pick it up at the store. Or, I wonder if I can order it and have it delivered to my house. Um, those are two major disruptions in the way. And, it, and I think the other one is we're seeing massive shifts of changing behaviors for, for customers to want broader assortment, more convenient shopping experience, 
and intelligent product information that gives them insights about what they should purchase. And I think when you start looking at the retail opportunity, if I am responsible for a 210,000 square foot building, let's say a Walmart or a Target or a Meyer or a Sam's Club, they all have merchandise in them. If I don't know what I have and I don't know where it is at a very high degree of accuracy, it's really hard to make those products available to somebody online to say, I've got three of those if you want to come and pick them up. And so the idea, and for years, retailers have sent people in with tools like clipboards or calculators, et cetera, to count everything, to keep track of everything, to audit things, et cetera. Well, that's a really expensive way of collecting that information. And frankly, it's pretty inaccurate. We've seen over the years. So I believe the, the, the theory and the, the strategies going forward is how do I figure out what do I have to sell and where is it located in a brick and mortar environment and expose those, that information to my customers online so they can literally buy it online and come pick it up in the store or have it delivered to their house. And we have enough confidence that we never, ever, ever cut their order because we know that we have it. And we're confident we're not going to cut it. Um, I think a lot of retailers are getting into the what's called the BOPUS world, buy online and pick up in store. But unfortunately, their inventories are so inaccurate. It'll say they have three or something. The customer will order it. And they find out they don't have any at all. So we have to we have to tell them that we're out of stock. Well, when you deliver the product to me is not what I want to know you're out of stock. I want to know you're out of stock before I even place the order. So leveraging cameras, fixed cameras, cameras on robots, RFID technology are all ways without throwing people at it to figure out what you have and where it's located. And I think it's the future. It's going to be critically future for people who operate in a brick and mortar environment like a Walmart or a Target or a Best Buy or whatever, and they want to operate in, uh, in an online environment. You've got to have that level of visibility. And, and guess what? People like Amazon don't have people going in their dis distribution centers and buying things, so they always kind of know where everything is. When you get into a, a, a regular brick-and-mortar store, things get moved around all the time, and you got to be able to know where it is and wh where it's located and where it is and what you have all the time. And I think that's the real opportunity available. I agree. So Mike, what's that transition like for companies? How do they, how, how could somebody make that change, right? Because it's one thing knowing, hey, look, this is what has to happen. It's another thing knowing, how do I get my company to that spot? What are some of the key steps there from your perspective? Uh, gosh, that's two great questions. Mike, it's, it's rare that's that That's why he's my co-host. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once in a while. So here's the first thing that I would say. The, the first thing you have to have is you have to have a company top-down approach that says this is important. Because here's what you will do. If you just say, well, I'm going to go out and explore some technologies, you know, no offense, but that's like if I have a hammer in my hand, everything looks like a nail. I, could, I can use this for everything. The reality is you have to make a strategic decision that says, do I want to be around and in business 50 years from now? And if so, what is it going to take to compete with the Amazons of the world? Chris, you and I were sharing some numbers the other day. Um, for online set for sales of consumer electronics, 
21% of all electronic sales is now done online. It has a major shift of, of power between people like Amazon versus everybody else who has brick and mortar stores like Walmart and Target and Best Buy, et cetera. So the first decision is, do I believe that knowing what I have and knowing where it's located is a not only a strategic priority, but a critical thing. Otherwise in 10 years, I might not be here. I may go out of business because so much of my business is moving online. That's where you start. Then once you do that, the second thing is you get an honest assessment about exactly what you're trying to get done. Am I, you know, what types of products do I have? How often do I want to be able to measure my on-hand accuracy? Do I want to be able to measure shrink, which is unaccounted for inventory? Or do I just want to update what I have? There's a bunch of different use cases. So you have to figure out what you want to do, what kind of product you have. Then you work with a company like T-Rock who can come in and help you navigate the myriad of all of the different options out there. Because if you say Google RFID, you will get 15 pages of technology folks, and it'll all sound like a different language. Um, I think one of the things that, that uh, Chris, you've built with T-Rock is the ability to have people come in and help assess what you're trying to get done, provide a roadmap from a hardware and software perspective, and they even have technology experts like T-Rockers who actually integrate people and technology to help you get started and to make sure the thing's gonna be successful. So I would say that that's a long way of answering the question, but here's the deal. It is not something you give a project manager. This is not a project manager thing. This is a strategic decision that says we have to be able to do this if we want to be around 10 years from now. And once you have that sponsorship, I think you put a plan together to say, how are we going to go about doing it? And I think T-Rock is uniquely positioned to help. Felsies, I don't know about you, but I would like to have Mike back on a second. I, I agree. Mike, we're going to have you back in a, in, in okay. a bit. Good. Yeah, because this, this conversation is amazing. I actually had a, a ton of questions, but we're kind of at time. So, Mike, you're invited back officially. <laughs> and <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. So, Mike, we like to have some really, a lot of fun really here at T-Rock. We, we like to not take ourselves too seriously and always engage in fun things. So, we like to ask these fun questions at the end of each of our podcasts of our guests. So, first question up. Ready? Are you ready? All right. What is your superpower? What is my superpower? Yep. Um, well, it's obviously not my eyesight because I had <laughs> eye surgery last week. So I've got a droopy eye. So clearly that is not my superpower. Um, I, I would, I would, I would say um, my superpower, and I, I hate to make this sound kind of hokey, but, but I really, really have a strong faith and I believe very strongly in integrity. Um, I want to be able to be one of those people that you can say, if, if Mike says it's, it makes a promise to me, I know I'm going to keep that promise and high level of integrity. So I, 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 it's, I work on it every single day, but, but, but having a reputation with a high degree of integrity um, and doing, if I'd say something, I, I follow up and execute against that is something that's very, very important to me and very um, I, I feel like I'm always working on it, but it's something that people say about me that I, that, I, that I do pretty well. That's awesome. Mike, integrity is actually one of my favorite words on the planet. So kudos to you. And in the very short time I've known you, I, you definitely speak with conviction and that definitely comes across. So I, I think you nailed it on that one. <laughs> All right. So here's second question up. What is your kryptonite? Ooh. <laughs> um, 
when I got married 42 years ago, you were required to have a blood test because I think something about okay, if you have children, you've got two different blood types. It could have a child with, with uh, birth defects, et cetera. So my first uh, blood test was when I was 18 years old. And now I'm six foot four, 300 pounds. And the nurse who took out my blood never saw it coming. I took, she took out my blood. I stood up, I fell down. <laughs> that's all, I, that, that's all I remember. So, so, and for about three years of my life, I was actually volunteering as the board of directors chair of the Red Cross. And they always wanted me to get to go to a blood drive. And I'm going, if that's a requirement, I quit. So the bottom line is I hate needles. I don't mind shots. But if you're taking something out of me, I'm very liable to be able to be passed out on the floor. So I just went in for for like a you know a checkup, Mike, where I had to do give blood, and literally told them, "Listen, bring me a coke," and they're laughing at me like, "All right, I'll give you extra supplements just to help you out." Isn't it crazy yeah, how people are? Funny. Everybody's so different. I love it. I love to hear these stories. So when I go into when I go for the doc for my annual physical, they they bring me in. They put me in this thing that looks like a recliner. They lean me all the way back. They turn the lights off. They play music. I mean, it's, they just know it's me and they don't want to try and pick somebody 300 pounds up off the ground, I guess. I don't know, but um, yeah, they, yeah, they're, you know, yeah, they, they do it. They do it the right way. And then I lay there for about 10 minutes after they do it. And then I'm okay. we're in the same boat, bud. <laughs> all right. So last question up. If you could have created any innovation, idea, or technology that currently exists, what would you love to have been credited for creating? I, well, this, I don't know if you've ever had this one before. Um, you would think, since I spend so much time in technology, I would go, well, the internet, of course, or mobile devices, et cetera. I am fascinated with the individual who figured out how to put an automobile in use in a practical terms. The first automobile, I guess that was that was Henry Ford, That's right? So, so how do you create an environment that takes people from horses to transportation? To me, that was an incredible, incredible uh, technology advancement. And it's fundamentally kind of like the wheel. It kind of fundamentally changed the direction uh, of the way we live today. I know we take it all for granted today, but but I just think whoever had to put that fortitude to put that process, I would have loved to be that smart. You know, it's funny. You mentioned Tesla when I asked you. Um, so not too far off, the two of you. <laughs> That's for sure. Mike, thank you so much for your time. Um, it's been fantastic. And like I said, we're going to have you back. So this is a great time to wrap it up. If you're a first-time listener and enjoying what you hear, we hope you subscribe and make sure to tune back in for future episodes for fun people like Mike that get to talk to us and tell us all about technology and retail. Until then, we will see you at the intersection of people and technology.